Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. How are we doing? So good. If you, the youth have got a table up the back for um, colouring in while they're listening. If that appeals to you as an adult, you are very welcome to join them. Um, Recognising that people engage differently and listen differently and sometimes you need you know, to be doing something with your your hands in order to listen. So um, feel free to join them and you can keep them in line a bit because they, uh, I think last time they were in the service, we I spoke for a bit and then we did an activity and Luke sat with the youth and they were all like, we didn't hear a thing. <laughs> it was like very encouraging. Uh, <laughs> no, it doesn't matter. Just like school. Um, Well, we are this month going to be sitting um, in our passage. We sit in one passage of scripture every month usually and we just spend time looking at that particular passage through different lenses and going a little deeper and really sort of seeking to understand, um, you know, what, what God might be bringing to us as a community. And so this month in October... We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 10 and the story of Peter and Cornelius, um, which is, uh, takes up the whole chapter 10 of the book of Acts. And so what I want to do, we're going to talk about it in a few different ways across this month, but what I want to do today is um, an experiment and if it fails, we might try again <laughs> or not. But we are usually, uh, I one of the things I love about central as a community is that usually we're up for experimenting and just, you know, being together and trying things different. It's one of the beautiful things about our community. And so what I'd like us to do today, and I I don't know if your anxiety has risen in the last 20 seconds as I've been speaking. I'm sorry if that's true. Just take a few deep breaths. But one of the things we've been working on and starting to talk about um, in our leadership team is how we continue on our journey of decolonizing. So we in Australia are very much informed in many ways by a colonial mindset. That's just the heritage of white Australia and it's done a lot of damage. Um, but it's also it also really informs the way that we think, the way that um, our communities are structured. And that like is not only... It's not, it's not necessarily the right way of doing things. And so being in conversations with um, our Indigenous Christian friends who are seeking to help lead us deeper into, you know, the heritage and richness of these lands now called Australia, we're listening to them in terms of how do we glean from, from our Indigenous culture, from our Aboriginal brothers and sisters, in terms of how they approach scripture, how they do community together, how they see God. And so we're wanting to learn from them. And part of that means we have the opportunity to interrogate the ways in which even just the setup of our church is um, in, entrenched in colonialism. So even the fact that you all are sitting in rows looking at me and I have the microphone, that's a very white colonial way of learning. Um, it's not Indigenous. If we were, be, you know, if we were all one tribe, we'd be sitting around together. We'd be listening to the wisdom of the elders. It would be collaborative and it would be a yarn, not a lecture. Um, but our churches are still very much set up to have one person expound the scriptures and everyone else listen. So we're just seeking to experiment and to unravel some of that in you know, appropriate and gentle ways. Um, And so I'd like us to take a little bit more of a collaborative approach to this text this morning in an attempt to decolonise how we might read and um, interact with Acts chapter 10. And so part of that will be that I don't just tell you what I think, but that we talk together and glean the wisdom from the room. And part of what I'm hoping, and this is, you know, we we are used to having conversations here at Central. We are used to listening to one another. But one of the things I'm hoping to do to take us just one little step further this morning is I'm wanting to 
see if we can together discern what God might be saying to us as a community from this passage of Scripture. So not just this is what this passage of Scripture means or meant back then or might mean today, but to actually sit with it and go, what might the Spirit of God be inviting and challenging us into? What's the wisdom of the Spirit for us as a community? And that's not for me to say. That's for us to discern together. So I'm, I'm hoping that we might, that, that's the experiment, that we might see how we go with that today and, you know, hopefully have an okay amount of fun in the process. So, <laughs> fun. Um, so we're going to look at Acts chapter 10. Um, and so just, and we're going to read it through, what, what, what my plan is, we're going to read through the text. I'm going to get someone else to read it at a few different points in the text there's going to be a chance, I'll just give a tiny bit of context so that as we're reading through, this is an ancient story, this is 2,000 years old, there are things we don't get about the context of this story, I'll just explain a little bit. And then from there, we're going to go into just sort of wrestling together. And these are the questions that I really want you to think about um, as we go through. Is it working? Oh, do I have that next? All right. All right, so this is how organised I am. All right, let me give you some overall context first. This story is set between Caesarea and in our scriptures a place called Joppa, which is in modern day now called Jaffa, which sounds a lot tastier. Um, so, so, you know, this is in the ancient lands of the Israelites. So you can see Jerusalem at the bottom of the screen and the little lake up the top where Tiberias is, that's the Sea of Galilee. And so you can see Nazareth to the left of the Sea of Galilee. So these are familiar words to you about biblical geography. So this story is set within the lands that are quite familiar to us from the time of Jesus, places that we read about whenever we read Scripture in the New Testament. And so we have it's still set quite solidly within the parameters of um, the Israelites and the Jewish people. It's set right on the shores of the Mediterranean. Um, I've seen pictures of this place. Modern. It's beautiful, like you can imagine. Like it's a, and so there's a journey that goes on uh, between Caesarea and Joppa, and that you know would take about 14 hours to walk, and that's probably what they did. So that's just some of the geographical context of what we're doing, just so you can sit yourself in like, okay, okay, this is a real place. These are real people. This was a real journey and this is where it was. So that's that. Um, then Now do I have the, yeah, now I have my questions. This is what I want us to be thinking about. There's a lot in this passage and we will look at some different aspects of this story in coming weeks. But Today, particularly, I'm wanting us to look at this story in light of the idea that God is the main character in this story, even though we're going to hear a lot more about Peter and Cornelius. So I want us to look at the actions of God and I want us to explore Acts 10 for the ways in which we might be able to see that God is at work and I want us to think about, like, what is it that God is doing in this passage? And how is God actually doing that? Like, what are the ways in which God is at work? What is the invitation and the wisdom and the challenge for us as a community as we read this today? So does that sound okay? So this is our, I'm going to need another microphone because I'm going to get, actually, I might get you, Luke, to read it out. Um, Sorry. Yeah, you can come and get it. <laughs> Stupidest way to do it. Um, okay, slight, a little bit, a tiny little bit more of context. This, um, this story takes place most likely about 10 years after the death of Jesus. So we're 10 years on from the resurrection of Jesus. We're 10 years into the birth of the church. We're 10 years after Pentecost. So Peter and the disciples have been figuring out what it means to follow Jesus without Jesus on the earth and they've been doing that for 10 years. 
primarily, if we think about that map, they have not really gone beyond the borders of what they know. They're still, the gospel, the message of Jesus is still situated geographically much within the confines of the Jewish world. Um, Saul Paul has, you know, previously just had a major conversion experience. Stephen has been stoned. Um, Philip has met the Ethiopian on the road. There's the beginnings of the gospel opening up to those beyond the Jewish world, but not very much. It's still very much centered in, in the Jewish worldview. And so that's how we come to Acts chapter 10. So Luke, if you read for us, um, when you get to a purple blob, if you can put the next slide Explore up, Chris. Explore Acts Chris. 10. Oh. <laughs> no. when you, is that purple, pinky purple? When you get to that blob, you can just pause and I'll give a tiny bit of context so that we really kind of dive into this. Thanks, Luke. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Bob. Okay. <laughs> so we have Cornelius. He's not a Jew. He could be Italian. Often the soldiers were named after the regiment that they served in based on where they came from. Um, they say evidence shows that most of the regiments within Caesarea were Syrian. So he could be Syrian. He's either Syrian or Italian, but he's a soldier occupying a Jewish land. He is authority, he has power, he's probably killed people, he has probably kept peace through violence in the name of Caesar. Um, it says he and all his family. It's interesting because soldiers were not allowed to marry, but they usually you know, had liaisons with local women, maybe had concubines, and so he's probably living in a in a non-married state with a woman and children. So he effectively is living as a family, but not in any way that the Jewish culture would recognise as proper, if that makes sense. Um, and it says that he's God-fearing and devout. It doesn't. It's the presumption is that he, that they're talking about the one true God, the Jewish God, that somehow in his soldiering he has encountered Yahweh, the God of the Jews, and he's attracted to this God. And, and his attraction and his expression of his spirituality is through praying and generously giving to the poor. So that's, he's, he's not a Jew, he hasn't converted, but he's intrigued by uh, God, and he's seeking to follow God in the way that he knows. So that's it. that's Cornelius. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. <laughs> okay, so three in the afternoon, there were three set times for Jewish prayer, uh, 9 a.m., midday, and 3 p.m. So he is following the, the set daily times of prayer. And during one of his regular practices of following the daily times of prayer, God speaks to him. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send, now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. It's confusing. He is staying with... Simon the Tanner, also confusing, whose house is by the sea. Okay, I want to make a small note about this, which probably is not heaps relevant for today, but might be relevant for um, future weeks. Peter is staying with a guy called Simon, who's a tanner. If you were a tanner, you were working with carcasses and skins. Um, it was smelly, kind of gross work. And usually all the tanners were kept outside the city because of the stench. Um, so he's staying outside the city. The other interesting thing about him staying with Simon the Tanner is that Jewish people could not come in contact with dead animals. Peter, by staying with Simon, is already engaging in kind of like an unclean, impure act. And the reason that's 
necessary for us to know is that a lot of this passage comes is about what is unclean, who is unclean and what is okay. And Peter has a lot of issues with the clean unclean thing, but he's got what we almost might be able to recognise as a kind of um, hypocrisy because he's actually staying with an un, a person who is by association unclean and Peter would have been unclean by staying with them. Does that make sense? Okay. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. Again, just want to point out that Peter's praying at the set times, 9am, noon and 3. And so Cornelius had his encounter with God during the 3pm, you know, prayer time. But Peter's also following the set practices of Judaism and he's praying at midday up on the roof. And so, and, and again, God meets him through his regular prayer practice. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheep being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Okay, I love something about this particular bit. Number one, Peter's hungry. He falls asleep or it goes into a trance, however you want to kind of understand that. And then he has a dream about food. And I think that is so human, isn't it? That is such a human thing that, you know, you know those times you have a dream about going to the toilet and you're busting and then you wake up and you've got to go to the toilet. It's like our bodies often speak to us even while we're asleep. And so I just love the real humanness of this picture that there's Peter, he's gone up to pray, he's really hungry, he falls asleep because he's hungry and he's praying. I mean, who hasn't fallen asleep while they've been praying? Anyone? Not ever? Like, it's a very human thing to do. And in his hunger, he dreams about food and God speaks to him. And I just think it's like a really embodied kind of spirituality that God is speaking to Peter, but he's using Peter's body and just regular body things to do so, hunger and things like that. So I love that about that passage. If you are unfamiliar with your Old Testament, you know, purity laws, uh, there, were food, there were animals you could eat and there were animals you really couldn't eat. Um, it's Deuteronomy chapter 14 and I think Leviticus chapter 11 that stipulate it if you want to go and read it for yourself. But there, it doesn't really specify what type of four-footed animals or birds there were, but there were ones you could eat and ones you couldn't eat, but they were not allowed to eat any reptiles. And so by association, the fact that there were reptiles on that blanket meant that everything was unclean because it wasn't just that that particular thing was unclean, but everything became unclean by association. And so Peter has this vision of this food coming down that contains a mixture of okay and definitely not okay foods and God says, take your pick, eat whatever you want. And to Peter, that is horrific. Like it is so against his knowledge of the scriptures, his religious practice, his devotion. To, to feel that God was saying that to him was going against everything he felt to be natural and right about the world. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. 
Then Peter invited them into the house to be his guests. Okay, this particular thing, Peter inviting the men into his house to be guests, is again a violation of purity protocols. So these, these, these men are not Jews, they're Gentiles. By association, if Peter again associates with them, he becomes unclean. Um, and it brings up a dilemma because as soon as Peter invites them into the house, he's required under social hospitality laws to feed them. But eating with Gentiles made you unclean. So it's like if I invite them in, I'm associating with them and I'm unclean. If I invite them in, I have to feed them, then we're definitely unclean. And so he's wrestling with, again, these ideas of what's okay, what's not okay, what, what's what's uh, like what makes me pure what makes me unclean and if I go down this path I'm going down a path of going beyond my comfortable boundaries of what keeps me righteous in the eyes of God does that make sense the next day Peter started out with them and some of the believers from Joppa went along the following day he arrived in Caesarea Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I, may I ask why you sent for me? So I just want to point out that Peter's articulating to these men, but also to us, because this story is written you know, for us as well, that there's a great tension that he's wrestling with between the words of the law and what's written in black and white in the scriptures and what he feels God has asked him to do. This is a real tension for Peter because he, you know, would be so used to being faithful to the law that that is what God requires, faithfulness to the law. And the law says he cannot do this. He cannot eat unclean animals. He cannot associate with Gentiles who are unclean. But he feels like God has told him to do so. This is a real ongoing tension between or within Peter. And it's not an unfamiliar tension to all of humanity this idea that we wrestle with what God is asking and requiring of us. Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shiny sparkly clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner. We've already heard this bit. Who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I just want to point out something remarkable about what Cornelius says there. Cornelius, not a convert, a God-fearing man, but definitely not in. He is not in. But he knows something I think that Peter is yet to really capture and that is the presence of God is here. Like there is something that Cornelius recognises about God being everywhere that Peter is still learning that God is everywhere. Then Peter began to speak. I now realise how true it is that God does not show favouritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And I think this is like we see Peter beginning to open up. Like this is a story about how the gospel of Jesus is going to go beyond boundaries. It's how it's going to cross all social, economic, religious, cultural boundaries. But the early church doesn't get it yet. But we see in this Peter's starting to open up to the idea that the message of Jesus is not just for the Jews, but it's for everyone. And this is happening through his... Um, through what he feels God is telling him and his interaction with Cornelius. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Insert gospel message here. Yeah, <laughs> While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. 
The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. I just want to point out the distinction still being written into the text there. Like there's still clear distinctions, Jews and Gentiles. And we're like shocked that those Gentile people have the Holy Spirit. Like that's all of us, by the way. We are the Gentiles in this. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptised with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptised in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Wonderful. Okay, no, no, go to that one. That's great, Chris. Thanks. So now, this is what I want us to do. I, I know that's a long passage and we've read it, but we, you know, sitting in a, a whole chapter. I want you to, we, we are... We do a lot of chatting amongst each other. Um, we like to share and talk. This is what I want us to do. I also want to say that that can be confronting for you if, you if you don't really want to talk to the people around you for any reason or you don't feel like you've got anything to say. So in a minute, we're going to like just chat together. But I want to give you absolute full permission to just sit and listen. If you don't want to talk, don't talk. If this feels really overwhelming for you and you want to just go get a drink of water or go for a walk outside, feel free to do that. I want you to feel okay. Um, so it's okay to speak and it's okay to just sit and listen. But what I want you to do in just maybe groups of three or four around you, um, I want you to like start to wrestle together with these things. What is God doing? What is God doing in this, in this chapter that we see? What can we sense is the heart of God in what is happening with both Cornelius and with Peter? Like what is the heart of God for that's going, that's threaded through this. And then how is God actually doing this? Like how can you see God collaborating with and working through people and all creation? How do you see the threads of God woven through this story? Um, so I want you to start there, just chatting together. Just share the thoughts that you've had, share things that come to your mind, and then we'll go from there. Sound okay? All right, I'll give you, I don't know, three or four minutes. I know that's not a lot, but... <laughs> So dive right in, like get right in there. Great. Well, um, in the spirit of listening well to one another, what I thought maybe we could do is it'd be great if, if uh, we hear from a few people um, some of the wisdom that was gleaned out of this. But if you share, I'd like you to share something someone else said. Um, so rather than sharing your own wisdom, that you might share something that somebody else said that you found um, interesting or thought-provoking. So how about we start, what, what is God doing? What can, what can we see as we wrestle with Scripture? What, what can we see that God is doing? Luke, maybe I'll get you to run the mic and I'll... Um, <laughs> Nyland was sharing, um, and I don't want to give away Nyland's age, but she said over 50 years of um, church, uh, church life um, and experience, uh, she found that this passage particularly was one which made her rethink what churches are and what churches should be and, what, and how God's God of love and, and how that re would respond as well. And it's been a journey in Ireland. I think it was said it's been quite a journey to actually get through and think through the implications of that based on what we have, from a colonial point of view, been established and thought about as church as a whole. Mm. That's good. And in particular, Nyland, why is that? Sorry. Like why, what is it about this passage in particular that's made you rethink? You like, have to answer this by saying what someone else said. No, no, no. <laughs> My alter ego. No, um, the, the whole um, bit where um, Peter sees the cloth coming down with all the different sorts of um, food. Mm very much struck me as if God says it's clean, it must be. Mm. Um, and that started that whole journey of um, rethinking the things that I'd been taught. Mm. Um, it very much, I guess I'm a typical Christian, listened to what came from the pulpit and just accepted it um, rather than perhaps questioning a little bit more. Mm. But, um, yeah, God's taken me on that journey of just rethinking 
Um, and then coming to a position now, which is a very much a tension for me, is that if it's clean and God says it's clean, then I um, must accept that and everything is good, even if I think that person or those things are not good, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, but if God's love and he loves them, then then that's what I should be doing as well. Mm. That's good. That's great, Nylan. Thank you. <laughs> that's, that's all right. I can pretend. I can pretend to use it. Um, my mother-in-law was saying that it's a really interesting tension between, um, like, breaking down barriers between what has been traditionally constructed as good and right, and what God is calling good and right, and mm. that's an interesting tension to hold. Um, and uh, what I heard Julie saying was it's, it's quite a subversive kind of idea that God is saying that what you thought was good and right is not, and what man says is good and right or what the law says is good and right is not necessarily mm. what I think is good and right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, that's great. Um, I appreciated Laura's comments. And she, as just at the very end, mentioned Peter's confusement which is my new favorite word. <laughs> I just looked it up. It is a word. <laughs> it's a great word, confusement. Um, Peter's confusement with like what, God, what God's heart is for people, even though he had spent so much time with Jesus. Yes. And he still didn't get it. This is not new And he still him. needed this revelation. Yeah. And that makes us feel better about yeah. when we get it wrong. And yeah. that it's okay to get things wrong and to learn new things and yeah. you know feel like god's speaking new things so yeah I love yeah that. this is one of the things that is amazing G like peter spent years with jesus jesus ate with sinners spent time with tax collectors prostitutes people of every culture and different religions and modeled hey the i make things clean things don't make me unclean like he modeled this to peter for years and peter still doesn't get it and even though Jesus lived a life of radical acceptance and, you know, kind of inclusion and God for all, as the early church is birthed and unfolding, it's still staying within acceptable boundaries. And the work of God to, like, expand out to all the world is, is it's a wrestle to get it out there. And I, I, I love that, it, you know, it gives me a lot of peace that for the the slowness and the dullness of my growth, this is a comforting passage because it took Peter a long time. This is 10 years of, <laughs> it gives me a lot of hope. <laughs> Following on from that, like Marilee was saying, oh, I kind of gave you 10 years to figure this out by yourself, but now I've got to do something really drastic, like, got yeah. to have angels you've got to have everything so you can figure out that's what we're saying yeah <laughs> yeah this isn't like you know it's it's loaded with very kind of like like big imagery isn't it like i've never had an angel appear to me i've never had uh, been in the trance and seen blankets of food like i've had dreams about food and going to the toilet but i don't know that they were from the lord um but you know like this is, god god really is like he's committed to expanding the gospel out across all barriers so all right so how so what we see what we what we're seeing God do is is an, is an expansive move what we see God do is he's taking um, the message of Jesus beyond all boundaries and the good news of of God and God's love is going beyond what is making what what is comfortable for Peter and what's actually comfortable for the church? He, this is a movement that is making the church very uncomfortable. Um, and that's what we see God doing in this story. All right, how, how, how exactly, what did you come up with if you, if you got to the second question? How do you see God doing this? Like how do you see this collaborative work happening through this? Like what are the, what are the things that we see God using to do this kind of expansive work? Did anyone get to that question? Because if everyone's like, oh, no, we only talked about the first one. <laughs> I, 
Uh, Alia was saying, because we talked a bit about the angels appearing and the vision and the thing, it was like spiritual networking. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's using everything he can to just get the attention. Yeah, yeah. He's using everything he can to get both Peter's attention and Cornelius's attention. He's just using his full toolbox of, of goodness. I, we didn't uh, talk much specifically about it, so this is my thought that I've just had. But um, um, God was pretty specific with Cornelius. He said, go to this house of a bloke called, um, called uh, Simon, but uh, you don't want to talk to the owner of the house, Simon. You want to talk to this other guy called Simon, but his name's Peter. So how specific does he have <laughs> yeah, to get? Yeah. Um, and it's the Goggermobile, not the dart, is the old ad for <laughs> Shannon's insurance. <laughs> yeah. Good. Les? Well, one of the things that came up in our talk was that God had obviously been working on Cornelius for quite a while Mm. because he'd become a God-fearing person. He'd been giving to the the poor. That's the sort of thing that Christians were doing. And the Christians at that time weren't necessarily the loved people in society. The Jews were against them and the Romans were, well, it was just another religious sect, Mm. another one to dominate. So he actually saw some good in what they were doing and decided to emulate them and become God-fearing. So God had been on his case for a lot longer than this story. Yeah. And I think that's the thing we see, like, coming to fruition in this story. This is is not even a conclusion because this is a – there is a lot that happens we see more in Peter after this. It still takes him a very long time to accept the Gentiles. Um, even though this happened, we still read later on that he's butting heads with Paul who's taking the gospel to the Gentiles. So Peter, this is not this is not the ticker box for Peter. This is just one waypoint on the journey. But God has been slowly at work in both of these men for a really long time. And this is just one expression of how that's, become a little bit more obvious or come a little bit more to the surface? Yeah, well, that's sort of where I wanted to go is that we were talking about that, you know, Cornelius was devoted and followed practices and of, you know, in his devotion and so did Peter and the Holy Spirit was, I guess, using that on both ends and softening mm. their hearts and speaking to them and preparing them for more to come, Yeah, you know, in, in their practice, in their dedication, in their prayer time, in their whatever. So... You know, we were seeing that as a good thing, you know, regardless of what they may have been doing. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one of the things I see quite clearly in this passage is that God's just using Cornelius and Peter's regular spiritual practice to speak to them. It's not radical. I mean, what, 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 some of the stuff that happens, like the angel and the trance, is radical. But what's not radical is they would have been praying at 9, 12 and 3 every day possibly for years and years. And it's just out of that faithful practice um, that God comes to them in a surprising way. And I, and I recognise that in our lives too, that we have regular practices of engagement. We don't get wonderful things happening in those regular practices every day, not even every week, maybe not even every year. But in that, it's softening us, opening us, like preparing us for times when it seems like God does really do something more kind of like concrete. Um, any, any, any way else that we see God at work? Yeah, Laura. We didn't get to the second question, so That's I'm going fine. off script. Great. <laughs> but um, I, I just think um, it really took Peter to say yes when they showed up to his house, and you touched on this earlier. Like it would have been really uncomfortable for yeah. him having yeah. those people come into his home and respond to this like tension of like did he would he have been certain at that point that it was something of God like was he you know putting himself in a position where he's like oh should I be doing this shouldn't I and it was just I don't know a bit of a reminder that sometimes we need to say yes to uncomfortable things that yeah. we've you know need to be challenged around yeah, yeah. and That's that can great. be scary. And I think like, I think about this story and I think um, it's easy to see that the main beneficiary of this story is Cornelius because he hears the gospel and has an encounter with the Holy Spirit. 
But I think it's equally fair to say that the main beneficiary of this story is Peter. And that if Peter hadn't said yes, he would have stayed closed up to what God was attempting to do, both in his own heart, but also through him to the world. And it was really important for the, that courageous yes to come forth, like despite all of the, oh my gosh, this is going against the Bible, this is going against Old Testament law, I will be judged for this. The, and there's clear evidence throughout, the, the, throughout Acts in the early church that there was a lot of judgment that was levied towards people for their engagement with the Gentiles. This meant, it wasn't just like, oh, well, it's okay. This meant that Peter might have been cast out um, from fellowship because of this. So it was, it was tense. Any, one last, anything, anyone want to say one last thing? Hi, I just um, looking at that last little bit. One of the things we touched on was the fact that the church is closing ranks ever since the LGBTQI issue has started to come up. Mm. And I think that this is one of the challenges for us as a faith community um, because really if God says it's good, mm. then how can we say it's not? And I also think that it's a challenge for us even within people with disabilities and things like that. You know, we can go the whole gamut. You don't see people with disability within our church because I think churches generally think they failed <laughs> if somebody with a disability emerges within their, their group. Um, and we need to get wise and recognise that everybody is a person loved by God. Mm, that's, that's great. Thanks, Marlene. Well, what I... Oh, do you want to say something, Dan? Yeah. Please have your hand up, too. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. I just picking on the, the last word of your question, through people and all of creation, and you started by talking about our Aboriginal um, background, heritage here. Um, so God had given the Aboriginal people uh, spirituality long before Jesus ever walked on the earth. They didn't have the Jewish tradition, but they had their own spiritual traditions and they followed those mm. um, and really acknowledged a creator God. And, uh, and it's no wonder that a large proportion of Aboriginal people have become Christian since, since being colonised. But, uh, uh, yeah, so they are people who are really well in touch with God and, and mm. his creation. Yeah. 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 Not in the last word, yes. Um, one of the things that I think we've skipped over is the Great Commission, which the disciples had pretty much ignored. Mm. Um, but the other thing that occurred to me is that these laws of food and what they could eat and the cleanliness was there to protect the nation of Israel from all the pagan nations around them. But here, in this particular period, they're in their own nation. Sure, they've got the Romans, but what have the Romans done for them? Um, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't. But, but the thing was, um, also way back in that period, um, Abraham was told that he was going to be a blessing to the nations. So God's plan was around, or at least in mental picture, that the nation of Israel was going to be a blessing to all the nations around it, but it had to be protected mm. until Jesus came and did his salvation work. Mm. Anyway, just my thoughts. No, it's good. I feel like we could, we could, and I would, it would be great to keep talking, but I am mindful of the time. What, what I'd like us to do, and let's just, let's just try this. We. I think, you know, we, we've talked, shared thoughts, um, seen things, wrestled with scripture, but, and this is the thing that feels like an experiment for me, as, and I'm sure for everyone, is like that next step of like, how do we discern just what it is that God is saying to us as a community? Like, what's that next step that this is not just a story from 2,000 years ago, but this is a story that pushes into our fears and our walk and our learning and our engagement with scripture and our openness to God 
And I think we've touched a little bit on on we've touched a little bit on what that might be. But what I'd like to do is just give you some silence. Um, I'm just going to give us 30 seconds of silence. I'm not going to give us a long time, but I would like you specifically to just sit with everything you've heard this morning, the things that were said in your group that haven't been shared with the wider group, but and just have that question held gently in your heart. Holy Spirit, what is it you're digging into me through this? I just want you to ask yourself that question in the quiet that we're going to have. Holy Spirit, as a community, we want to trust that you are at work in us, in the things that we can see and understand and in the things that are still hidden from us. And so, God, I pray that this expansive work that we see happening in Peter and Cornelius, this expansive work of your spirit, that that same expansive work would be happening in our hearts and that it would be happening amongst us as a community, God. And I want to ask, God, that you would help each one of us have a courageous yes to the things that we might not quite be sure about, the things that might feel a little bit unsafe or suspicious, that we would be listening to the movement of your spirit in us and around us and that we would be willing to say yes and to step beyond what we know into the realm of trusting you, God. And so would you continue your work in us, we pray. Amen. I just want to finish and we're going to come to the table to communion to um, eat and drink together of the life of Jesus. But in my preparing for today and as I woke up this morning, I woke up with um, two things in my heart that I want to share with you. Um, maybe that just makes takes what we've done a little bit more kind of communally and I'm, I'm just trusting that this is perhaps something that different people here might need to hear this morning. Um, because as I see, as I read this passage, I, I see the slow work of God. I see the way in which God has gently been working in both Cornelius and Peter and those around them. I see the ways in which perhaps those two men were unaware of it and I recognise that in my life too there are times when I am unaware of the work of God in me or around me and that I don't always know what to do or I don't always see God. And so I want to share with you two quotes, one from Teresa of Avila and one from Pierre Teilhard de Chardin who speak about the slow work of God and speak about God in us. And I want to offer these to you today as, a, as your pastor who offers this as wisdom for the way that God works in us. And I want to offer it to you as wisdom for the way God is actually working in you, in your heart and in the hidden and unseen places. So St. Teresa said, may today there be peace within. May you trust God that you are exactly where you are meant to be. May you not forget the infinite possibilities that are born of faith. May you use those gifts you have received and pass on the love that has been given to you. May you be content knowing you are a child of God. Let this presence settle into your bones. And Tilhard de Chardin wrote, Above all, trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything. To reach the end without delay, we should like to skip the intermediate stages. 
We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. And yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say grace and circumstance acting on your goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Give our Lord the benefit of believing that his hand is leading you and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. I grace you this morning with saying you are exactly where you are meant to be. And whether you can see it or sense it or know it, the slow work of God, of grace and circumstance and time is deeply at work within you. And your faith will come to maturity because it is God who is at work, not you, not your efforts, not your striving, but the gentle, graceful spirit of God who is bringing you to completion. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. Ha, ha, ha.